We don't know a lot about each of the disciples, but we know enough that we could probably ask how might some of them have been feeling about that, right? Were they fired up and, you know, ready to win, like maybe Peter might have been, or James or John, the sons of thunder, right? Uh, or were they eager to be seen as, you know, especially uh, smart, you know, really eager to be approved of, like maybe Judas might have been, you know, Judas was among the twelve. Maybe Judas, who always seemed to be making it about himself anyway. Or, or maybe like Thomas, they were timid and afraid. You know, they're struggling with their own doubts even as they go out on mission with Jesus. It's hard to know. But the question though is, what about us? As we think about being on mission with Jesus, are we fired up, you know, ready to win, ready to lob, you know, truth grenades from behind the safety of our own screens, right? Ready to be SMWs, social media warriors for Jesus. Or are we eager to be seen as especially smart or especially dedicated to works of justice and mercy, seemingly so selflessly, but actually pretty self-centeredly because we want the glory for ourselves? Or, and this is probably most of us, are we timid and afraid? Right? The last thing we want to do is get out of our foxhole and talk to people about Jesus to step out on mission with him because we know we're going to be met with unbelief. We know we're going to be ridiculed. Jesus, we know, said in the Sermon on the Mount, not if, but when you are spoken ill of, reviled, and persecuted in my name, you are blessed. So what we need to ask as we look at this text is what, what do we learn from Jesus' instructions to his disciples then that will help us as we seek to be faithful in living on mission for him now? So let's wrestle with that. We're going to read the text and then we'll see what principles there are for us here. So let's look at the text. Mark chapter 6 verses 7 through 13. Hear the word of God. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you for preserving Mark's gospel uh, for us down to this very day. And we ask that you would help us, O oh Lord, to learn from this passage uh, what it looks like to be on mission with your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So three principles I think we need to remember as we look at this text while on mission with Jesus. And the first is this, we're called to both speak the words and do the works of the kingdom of God. Second, we should expect unbelief and leave room for God to work. And then third, we'll do best when we go in community depending on God's power to save. So we're called to speak the words and do the works of the kingdom Second, we should expect unbelief and leave room for God to work. And then third, we'll do best when we go in community 
depending on God's power to save. So first, we're called to speak the words and do the works of the kingdom. You see the disciples speaking the words of the kingdom in verse 12. Take a look there with me. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Now that's shorthand. We know from earlier in Mark's gospel, Jesus went out proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and proclaiming that people repent and believe the good news. And so the disciples here are calling people to repent and to believe the good news about the kingdom of God. Repentance involves turning away from our sin and turning to God in faith. But again, keep in mind, their call came in the context of the story about God was doing through his son Jesus Christ to bring his kingdom into the earth. They weren't going around teaching the doctrine of repentance, in other words. They were announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. They were telling the story of God's glory. They were announcing the gospel of grace. And we need to see that we also are called to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, does that involve explanation? Of course it does. We need to explain some of these key doctrinal truths. We need to help people explore these truths. We need to be ready to respond to objections that people have to these truths. What we need to recognize, though, is that primarily what we're called to do is proclaim good news, to tell the story. So often when we go on mission with Jesus and we want to talk to people about Jesus and about the offer of salvation, we start with doctrine instead of starting with where Jesus tells us to start, the news. The good news about what Jesus Christ has done to come into the world to live a life that everyone is required to live before God, a life of perfect righteousness and holiness, but which none of us can. And so Jesus came and took in himself the punishment that we deserve for having failed to do so, so that all who look to him will have forgiveness, what I spoke of earlier, and the promise of new life, and ultimately the promise of resurrection and life eternal on the new earth that God is renewing through us even now. To we're called to proclaim that good news, to tell the story of God's grace, and to tell our story of God's grace, how God worked in our lives to wake us up to the truth of the grace that is offered in his son, Jesus Christ. And as we do so, we are speaking the words of the kingdom, but we're also called to do the works of the kingdom. You see that in verse 13. Take a look. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They were doing the same works that Jesus was doing. If you read the first part of Mark's gospel, this is the kind of stuff that Jesus himself was doing. He was casting out demons. He was healing people. Um, I've talked about uh, you know, demon possession and, and all that kind of stuff in earlier sermons. I don't have time to go back and rehash all that. I encourage you to go back and and listen for yourself. But the point here is that Jesus was doing these miraculous works in order to confirm his identity as the Messiah and in order to give a preview of what the kingdom of God would be like. And now he's saying, I am giving you my authority, disciples, to go out and do the same kinds of works in order to confirm my identity, Jesus, 
and to give a preview of what the kingdom of God will be like. And so the question we should ask is, well, what does that look like for us? I mean, we're not going out, you know, casting out demons. We're not, you know, miraculously healing people. Well, what are we doing? We're doing the same kinds of things Jesus did in the sense of confirming his identity and giving a preview of the kingdom of God. When we go out and do works of justice, we are giving a confirmation of the identity of Jesus Christ who will come as judge one day. When we do works of mercy, we are giving a picture of Jesus who is gentle and humble and lowly in heart and who came not to break a bruised reed, who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When we do works of mercy, we are giving a confirmation of the identity of who Jesus is. We're also giving a preview of the kingdom of God, a a kingdom in which righteousness dwells, a kingdom in which justice is fulfilled, a kingdom in which mercy never ends. We're called to speak the words. We're called to do the works of the kingdom. That's what it means first to be on mission with Jesus. Second, however, we should expect unbelief And we need to leave room for God to work. Expect unbelief, leave room for God to work. So back in verses 8 through 10, what we're going to see, we're going to read verses 8 through 10. I'm going to touch on them real quick. But the bottom line is, if you're a Christian, you're familiar with the idea of a short-term mission trip. And Jesus is basically sending these guys out on a short-term mission trip. And he's telling them what to do. So verse 8, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. Wow, that's... Tough, short-term mission trip right there. Nothing but a staff and no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. In other words, you're, you're going to go light. You're going to travel light. You're going to rely on me. And you're going to depend on the hospitality of people in the places where you go. So you see that in verse nine. I'm sorry, verse 10. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And that's actually important because uh, sophist, wisdom teachers in that day, like their, you know, kind of um, MO was to go into a town to teach. And they would start usually where they were accepted first, which was amongst those who were not as elite but were more open to people that were coming in. And so they would start there, but then as their teaching gained, you know, ground, as they began to gain more of a hearing, you know, kind of they had this upward mobility mindset where we're going to move on to the next highest class of people in the next nicest house, because as we do that, we'll gain even more fame, even more supposed credibility. And Jesus is saying, no, listen, when you go into a town, the place where you're accepted, that's where the, that's the place where you stay. Don't, make it about you. Don't make it about upward mobility. Go stay with the people who receive you. Stay in that place. And then in verse 11, and if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet. So inevitably, Jesus is saying, and again, they just saw this happen in the first part of Mark chapter 6 where they see Jesus being rejected by his own people. Jesus is saying here, listen, inevitably you're going to be rejected, so this is what I want you to do when you get rejected. So every disciple of Jesus also should expect to be met with unbelief. That was true of them then, and it's true for Christians always. We should expect to be met with unbelief if we're on mission with Jesus. It's important that we understand, I think this is true for every Christian in every age, 
It's important for us in our age to understand the nature of the unbelief that we face today. Brett McCracken uh, posted an article in the Gospel Coalition uh, last week. The title of the article is really good. I encourage you to look it up. In fact, I'll post it to um, our Facebook page later. Exit the Echo Chamber, It's Time to Persuade. That's the title of the article. In that article, he points out that we live in a post-truth world. And what he means by that is that truth is no longer arrived at through reason in community. It's rather discovered through feelings, through experience as individuals. So there's no capital T truth anymore. The cardinal sin in our culture is to challenge what is assumed to be truth, which is whatever's true for you or whatever's true for me. And so, you know, McCracken's argument, how do, how do we deal with that, boils down to this. And again, I encourage you to read it um, and go deeper later. But his argument boils down to this. We need to be willing to contend for the truth because there is capital T, truth. And we need to be willing to contend for the truth. But we must do so in a tone of empathy, in a tone of gentleness, a tone of respect. That's universal. That's pretty much right out of 1 Peter chapter 3. And, McCracken says, we need to be teachable. And that makes sense out of James chapter 1. Quick to listen, slow to speak, right? We need to be teachable. We need to recognize that people who are not Christian believers and are very, you know, firm in their own personal idea of truth actually may have things to teach us and things that we need to hear because of God's common grace is you know, as Christians, we should recognize that God's common grace would mean that there are things that we can learn from all kinds of people, and we need to be willing to listen and to learn. So be willing to contend for the truth, because there is capital T truth. Do so in a tone of empathy, gentleness, and respect, and be teachable. Listen and engage, and don't get triggered. Also, we need to leave room for God to work. So what's happening when Jesus instructs them to shake the dust off their feet if they're rejected? Well, again, keep in mind, context, this is akin to a short-term mission trip. So he's not talking about the way in which they would act if they're living with people in their own hometown over the long haul. He's just saying, I'm sending you out on the short-term mission trip. If you're in this place and they reject you, you need to move on to the other place, to the next place. But if they reject you, shake off your dust as a sign, the dust off your feet as a sign against them, which was simply a way in that day and age of providing a warning to them concerning the judgment of God. Fine, you're, you're rejecting me, you're rejecting my message. Ultimately, recognize that you're rejecting God's Messiah. And the shaking off of the dust from the feet is simply a way of providing that warning to you as they leave. What does that look like for us? I don't think it means walking away, at least not in every instance. I do think it means leaving room for God to work. There are times when we just need to stop talking. There are times when we need to be willing to lose the argument. There are times, again, when we need to be more concerned about listening than we are about speaking. And as we do so, as we engage with people in that way, we may find that they come to trust us because they discover that we actually care about them and are actually listening to them and not 
formulating a rebuttal in our heads as we do so. But it also looks like loving that person enough to not leave them without a warning. That the things we're talking about right now are of ultimate significance. They are of eternal significance. You could say, listen, if I'm right, which I know you don't believe that I am right now, but just I want to tell you that if I'm right, then these things matter for eternity. So let's pick up this conversation again as soon as you're willing to do so. Right? Leave room for God to work. So to be on mission with Jesus, we're called to speak the words and do the works of the kingdom. We should go expecting unbelief. Doesn't help that help those of us who, you know, are people pleasers and perfectionists that, hey, we should expect people to not like us or agree with us. It's good news. We should expect unbelief and leave room for God to work. And then third, we will do best if we go in community depending on God's power to save. So look back at the beginning of verse 7. And Jesus called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So, the sending them out two by two. Jesus is sending them out in community, in little huddles. Sending them out in community. Why? Well, you know, at one level, it's, it's kind of obvious for companionship, for mutual encouragement and support. But also, according to the Old Testament, in Numbers 35 and Deuteronomy 17, that was a way in which the testimony of a matter was established. Right? So, companionship, mutual encouragement, and also confirmation of the testimony. I think both of those things still connect today. It's not hard for us to envision the need for mutual support and encouragement to have other Christians with us as we go out and speak the words and do the works of the kingdom of God. It's that second thing that maybe we don't think about too much. The role of community in establishing our testimony. So Sam Chan, in his book, Evangelism in a Skeptical World, talks about the role of community in establishing plausibility structures. Now, that matters, actually. Those two words I think we need to think more about. Plausibility structures. What are plausibility structures? Your plausibility structure and mine is a set of accepted beliefs and convictions that either green light a truth claim or red light a truth claim as being implausible, right? Or another way to put it, your plausibility structure either causes a truth claim that's being presented to you as being stamped believable or as being stamped unbelievable. How do these plausibility structures get formed? Well, we would like to think, oh, they're just, they're informed by my reason. They're informed by data. They're informed by the facts. And the answer is actually they're informed by your community. They're informed by your own experiences. And they're also informed by or formed by data and facts. The question is, which is the most powerful of those three? Which is the most formative in terms of our plausibility structures? And the answer is actually the first one, community. The communities in which we live, our family, our culture, whatever the case may be, these are the, this is the context in which our plausibility structures are most deeply formed. Now again, the plausibility structure is not the truth claim itself. It's the way in which you filter a truth claim as either being believable or unbelievable 
based on the plausibility structures that are present in your life. And I can already feel myself going on too much more than I need to. Read the book, Sam Chan's Evangelism in a Skeptical World. What this means for us in terms of application, this is coming from Sam Chan's book as well, is we need to do whatever we can to get our Christian friends and our non-Christian friends together. That we ought not to actually think about, man, wouldn't it be great um, if I, as an individual Christian, go joining a garden club where it's mainly non-Christians or a reading club where it's mainly non-Christians or whatever the case may be. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But this idea of the role of community in determining what is truth, whether a truth claim is believable or unbelievable, would ought to get us thinking about what are ways in which we can actually get our Christian friends and our non-Christian friends together. So community is important. We do best when we go in community. And then finally, we'll wrap up here. No matter what approach we take to being on mission with Jesus, we will always do best when we're going with a heart of dependence on his power to save. So again, he went away, I'm sorry, verse 7, he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. Now, even though we're not doing that same kind of work, we are up against that same kind of foe. This is spiritual warfare that we're engaged in. There's an enemy that is roaming the earth who does not want uh, to let anyone go. And yet Jesus has said, I have died for my sheep. I know those who are my own. I will call to them. They will hear me and they will respond. And we are Jesus' instruments on earth for making that call. And if we think that with our words, we can open up and bring to life a dead heart, we're fooling ourselves. So we need to speak the words. We need to do the works. But we need to recognize that the The thing that will ultimately win the day is not us and our ability to persuade, not our Christian friends as we're together with our non-Christian friends, not our works of justice and mercy, all of which are vital, all of which are an expression of what it means to be a faithful Christian on mission with Jesus. At the end of the day, it's going to be God working through his word by his spirit to bring new life. And so we go out on mission with Jesus with that as our confidence. All right, let's wrap it up. We are called to be on mission with Jesus. Jesus promised in the Great Commission that we are not alone. He said that he will be with us to the end. But he has also gone on before us. Hebrews tells us that he endured the cross, scorning the shame for the joy that was set before him. His joy, we learn from Isaiah 53, is actually seeing the fruit of his labor. It's seeing the result of his work. The accomplishment not only of the rescue of people who are enslaved to sin, but also the renewal of the whole world. For Jesus, mission accomplished at the cross. But now that mission is carried out and applied through us as he is with us to do the work. We're called to speak the words and to do the works of the kingdom of God. We should expect unbelief and leave room for God to work. We will do best when we go in community depending on God's power to save. Listen, let's not miss the opportunity that this cultural moment presents to us. This is a a strange time in which we live. We're coming off a pandemic like the world has not seen for a hundred years. 
we are in the midst of a moment of societal crisis and tumult that has been bubbling up at times and needing to be addressed. And the church has a significant role in that, or we ought to. We're going to deal with, I think, a great deal of economic upheaval. People are losing their jobs. They're going to be struggling financially. This is a moment, unlike many other moments in the past, in which we, here in this place, at this time, ought to be looking for opportunities and asking the question, what does it mean for Grace Church to be on mission with Jesus? This is a hard time. We ought to see it as an exciting time as well to be faithful and see what God might do through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would help us to be faithful. Lord, even as we think about going on mission with your son Jesus and speaking the words and doing the works and expecting unbelief but leaving room for you to work, Lord, even as we do these things knowing that we need to do it in community, Lord, we are reminded not only that it's going to be your power that wins the day in the hearts of other people, but it's only because of your power in us that we're even compelled to go in the first place. So we thank you for the grace by which you have saved us. We thank you for the new life that you have given us in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the promise that as we look to you as disciples, we now, because your spirit indwells us, gives us the ability to experience more and more of your love, Lord Jesus, for us. And as all these things are happening in us, find us faithful and give us the ability to go, to go faithfully in your name. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.